Chapter Twenty Six of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter Twenty Six: How I Got Into Serious Difficulties. It is not a pleasant place to pass a night, on the ground at the edge of a vast forest, inhabited by you know not what noxious beasts, while if you light a fire to scare them off, you always do so with the idea that in scaring one enemy you may be giving notice to a worse, where he may find you to make a prisoner or put you to death. However, we determined to risk being seen by savages, the more readily that we had gone so far now without seeing one, and in a short time a ruddy blaze was gilding the forest edge, and the great sparks were cracking around the trees. We had calculated on being back at camp that night, so we had eaten all our food, and now, as we sat there by the fire hungry and tired, I began to think we might have done worse than cut off the kangaroo's tail before Jimmy had thrown it away. Poor Jimmy! He, too, seemed to be bitterly regretting the idleness that had made him give up his self-imposed task, and the dismal hungry looks he kept giving me from time to time were ludicrous in the extreme. "'Never mind, Joe,' said the doctor, smiling. "'Tighten your belt, my lad, and get to sleep. That's the best way to forget your hunger. You'll be sure to begin dreaming about feasts. The doctor was right. I lay hungrily awake for a short time and then dropped off to sleep to dream of delicious fruits and cooking and the smell of meat burning. And I awoke with a start to find out there was a very peculiar odor close to my nose for a piece of wood must have shot a spark of its burning body into the shaggy head of poor Jimmy, who was sleeping happily unconscious, while a tiny scrap of wood was glowing and the hair sending forth curls of smoke. I jumped up, seized Jimmy by the hair, and crushed out the spark, awaking that worthy so suddenly that he swung up waddy in hand, caught me by the throat, and threw me back, swinging his war-club over his head to strike a tremendous blow. He saw who it was in time, and dropped his weapon. "'What a fool, Jimmy, yes? What a fool, Jimmy sleep! Pull Jimmy hair! Jig-jag! Hello? What a want?' It took some time to make him understand what had been wrong, but even when he did comprehend, he seemed to be annoyed with me for waking him out of a pleasant dream, probably about damper and mutton, for the saving of so insignificant a thing as his hair, which would have soon grown again. Jimmy lay down again grumbling, but was soon asleep, and on comparing notes with the doctor, I found I was so near my time for taking my turn at watching and keeping up the fire that I exchanged places with him. As is often the case, the troubles and depressing influences of the night departed with the day, and setting out very hungry but by no means in bad spirits, we soon found a more open part where the forest was beginning to end, and after about three hours walking we reached our little camp where we had no difficulty in satisfying our cravings, 
our ordinary food being supplemented by a great bunch of plantains which one of the blacks had found and saved for us. After a good rest, during which the doctor and I had talked well over our future course, we determined to go right on as we had come for another four days and then strike due south to hit the shore, always supposing that we encountered nothing fresh to alter our plans. And I'm sure we shall, I said to myself, for somehow I cannot tell you why, and perhaps after all it was fancy. I felt sure that we should not be long now before we met with some adventure. I did not like to say anything of this kind to the doctor, for I felt that if I did he would laugh at me. But I took the first opportunity I could find of confiding in Jack Penny. He looked down at me and then seemed to wave himself to and fro, looking at me in a curious dreamy fashion. Do you think that? Do you feel? Like, as if something is going to happen? Yes, I said hastily. I don't ask you to believe it, but I cannot help thinking something about my curious feelings. Oh, I believe you, he said eagerly. Oh, I quite believe you, Joe Carstairs. I used to feel like that always on mornings when I woke up first, and so sure as I felt that way, father used to be going to lick me, and he did. I should put fresh cartridges in your gun if I was you. I'll keep pretty close to you all day, and see you through with it anyhow. But Jack Penny did not keep his word, for somehow, as we were journeying on in the heat of the day, looking eagerly for a spring or river to make our next halting place, we were separated. I think it was Jack's back wanted a rest. Anyway, I was steadily pushing on within shouting distance of my companions, all of whom had spread out so as to be more likely to hit upon water. It was very hot, and I was plodding drowsily along through a beautiful open part dotted with large bushes growing in great clumps, many of which were covered with sweet-smelling blossoms, when just as I was passing between a couple of the great clumps which were large enough to hide from me what lay beyond, I stopped, utterly paralyzed by the scene some fifty yards in front. For there in the bright sunshine stood a boy who might have been about my own age, intently watching something just beyond some bushes in his front, and the moment after a small deer stepped lightly out full in my view, gazed round, then stooped its graceful head to begin browsing. The boy, who was as black as ebony and whose skin shone in the sun, seemed to have caught sight of the deer at the same moment as I, for he threw himself into position, poising the long spear he carried, resting the shaft upon one hand, and bending himself back so that he might get the greatest power into his throw. I had seen Jimmy plant himself in the same position hundreds of times, and, surprised as I was at coming upon this stranger, whose people were probably near at hand, I could not help admiring him as he stood there a thorough child of nature, his body seeming to quiver with excitement for the moment, and then becoming perfectly rigid. My eye glanced from the boy to the deer and back again, when a slight movement to my right caught my attention and I stood paralyzed, for in a crouching attitude I could see a second black figure coming up, war club in hand, 
evidently inimically disposed toward the young hunter. And he may belong to a friendly set of people, I thought. It is Jimmy. No, it's not Jimmy, but one of the bearers, Ti-Hi, I thought. No, it was a stranger. Just then the boy drew himself back a little more, and as I saw the stooping figure, that of a big burly savage, stealthily creeping on, I realized his intention, which was to wait until the boy had hurled his spear and then leap upon him and beat him to the ground. I made no plans, for all was the work of moments. I saw the spear leave the boy's hand like a line of light in the sunshine. Then he turned, alarmed by some sound behind him, saw the savage in the act of leaping upon him, uttered a shrill cry of fear, and ran somewhat in my direction, and at the same moment my gun made a jump up to my shoulder and went off. As the smoke rose I stood aghast, seeing the boy on my left crouching down with a small waddy in his hand, and the great black savage prone on his face just to the right. I've killed him, I exclaimed, a chill of horror running through me, but as I thought this I brought up my piece to the ready again, for the savage leaped to his feet and turned and ran into the bush at a tremendous pace. From habit I threw open the breech of my gun without taking my eyes from the boy, and thrusting my hand into my pouch I was about to place a fresh ball cartridge in its place when I found that I had drawn the right trigger and discharged the barrel loaded with small shot, a sufficient explanation of the man being able to get up and run away. I remained standing motionless as soon as I had reloaded, the boy watching me intently the while, and looking as if he was either ready to attack or flee according to the circumstances. Friendly advance there was none, for he showed his white teeth slightly, and his eyes glittered as they were fixed upon mine. Suddenly I caught sight of the deer lying transfixed by the boy's spear, and without a word I walked quietly to where the little animal lay, the boy backing slowly and watchfully from me, but holding his waddy ready for a blow, or to hurl at me it seemed if I ventured to attack. I wanted to make friends, and as soon as I had reached the dead deer, I stooped down, holding my gun ready, though, and taking hold of the spear, drew it out and offered it to the young hunter. He understood my motion, for he made a couple of steps forward quickly, only to draw back, uttering an angry ejaculation, and raise his waddy in a threatening way. He thinks I want to trap him, I said to myself and taking the spear in regular native style, as Jimmy had taught me, I smiled and nodded, tossed it in the air and let it drop a few yards away with the shaft upright and towards his hand. I pointed to it and drew back a few yards, when, quick as some wild animal, he made two or three bounds, caught up the spear, poised it, and stood as if about to hurl it at me. It was not a pleasant position, and my first impulse was to raise my gun to my shoulder, but my second was to stand firm, resting on my piece, and I waved my hand to him to lower the spear. The boy hesitated, uttered a fierce cry, and stamped one foot angrily, but I waved my hand again, and thrusting my hand into the pocket, pulled out a ring of brass wire, such as we carried many of, for presents to the savages, 
and I tossed it to him. I saw the boy's eyes glitter with eagerness, but he was too suspicious to move, and so we stood for some minutes, during which I wondered whether my companions had heard the report of my gun, and if so, whether they would come up soon. If they did, I was sure they would alarm the boy, who seemed as suspicious as some wild creature, and shook his spear menacingly as soon as I took a step forward. A thought struck me just then as I saw a red spot glisten on a leaf, and stepping forward I saw another and another, which I pointed to, and then again at a continuous series of them leading towards the dense bush. I took a few more steps forward when the boy suddenly bounded to my side as if he realized that I had saved his life and that he was bound to try and save me in return. He uttered some words fiercely, and catching my arm drew me back, pointing a spear menacingly in the direction taken by the great savage, and in response to his excited words I nodded and smiled and yielded to his touch. We had not taken many steps before he stopped short to stand and stare at me wonderingly, saying something the while. Then he touched me, and as I raised my hand to grasp his, he uttered a fierce cry and pointed his spear at me once more. But I only laughed, very uncomfortably, I own, and he lowered it slowly and doubtfully once again, peering into my eyes the while, his whole aspect seeming to say, are you to be trusted or no? I smiled as the best way of giving him confidence, though I did not feel much confidence in him. He seemed too handy with his spear. He, however, lowered this and looked searchingly at me while I wondered what I had better do next. For this was an opportunity. Here was a lad of my own age who might be ready to become friends and be of great service to us but he was as suspicious and excitable as a wild creature and ready to dash away or turn his weapons against me at the slightest alarm. It was very hard work to have to display all the confidence, but I told myself it was incumbent upon me as a civilized being to show this savage a good example, and generally I'm afraid that I was disposed to be pretty conceited, as, recalling the native words I had picked up from our followers, I tried all that were available, pointing the while to the deer and asking him by signs as well if he would sell or barter it away to me for food. My new acquaintance stared at me, and I'm afraid I did not make myself very comprehensible. One moment he would seem to grasp my meaning, the next it appeared to strike him that I must be a cannibal and want to eat him when I made signs by pointing to my mouth. At last, though, the offer of a couple of brass rings seemed to convince him of my friendliness, and he dragged the little deer to me and laid it at my feet. After this we sat down together and he began chattering at a tremendous rate, watching my gun, pointing at the spots on the leaves, and then touching himself falling down and going through a pantomime as if dying, ending by lying quite stiff with his eyes closed, all of which either meant that if I had not fired at the big black, my companion would have been killed, or else that I was not on any consideration to use my thunder and lightning weapon against him. 
I did not understand what he meant, and he had doubtless very little comprehension of what I was trying to convey. But by degrees we became very good friends, and he took the greatest of interest in my dress, especially in my stout boots and cartridge belt. Then, too, he touched my gun, frowning fiercely the while. My big case-knife also took up a good deal of his attention, and had to be pulled out several times, and its qualities as a cutter of tough wood shone. After this he drew my attention to his slight spear, which, though of wood, was very heavy, and its point remarkably sharp and hard. In spite of its wanting a steel point, I felt no doubt of its going through anything against which it was directed with force. He next held out his waddy for me to examine. This was a weapon of black-looking wood with a knob at the end about the shape of a good-sized tomato. I took hold of the waddy rather quickly, when it must have struck the boy that I had some hostile intention, for he snatched at it, and for the moment it seemed as if there was a struggle going on. Then I felt a violent blow from behind, as if a large stone had fallen upon my head. And that was all. End of chapter 26 How I Got Into Serious Difficulties